Well, thank you, everybody, for joining Indigenous Flame, where every voice creates a spark. I'm your host, Johnny J. And tonight we have a very special guest who I am super excited for because she is the first woman to be named editor-in-chief of Indian Country Today. And if you don't know, Indian Country Today is one of the largest news outlets that we have in Indian Country and it is incredible. Um, so, Jordan, could you let everybody know a little about who you are and just let them kind of get in, fill in that background information? Sure. And thank you so much for having me. Um, I was just thinking, man, when's the last time I talked to Johnny? <laughs> um, uh, hi, everyone. Shae, Jordan, Bennett, Begay, and Shae, Kia, Ani, and Shae, Marish, Gijin, Bashishi, Nakaid, and Ed, Dashiche. My name is Jordan. I am, that's me as a Navajo woman. Um, I am from Ninahazan, New Mexico. Um, Grew grew up here and raised here. Um, I started at Indian Country Today about three years ago in August of 2018. Um, And it was the first staff hire when the organization like went dark. Um, And it kind of just like grew with the company from there on. I started as a reporter and producer, grew into the Washington editor role, which is, you know, the Washington bureau chief, and then became deputy managing editor, managing editor. And then now the beginning of the new year, um, I'll be editor of ICT. Um, I'm trying to think what other background I can give you all. Um, I got my bachelor's. I got my bachelor's um, from, Fort Lewis College in athletic training, um, so which is like sports medicine. I wanted to be an athletic trainer, but foremost a physician assistant. Um, I wanted to go into medicine, and that kind of changed gears um, when I took a break after after undergrad and tried to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do. Um, so I ended up going to journalism school after some really great experiences. <laughs> And I attended the um, Syracuse University's uh, Newhouse um, School, which is on the East Coast in New York. Um, yeah, got my master's there. And yeah, I became a high school teacher and then got hired at ACT. <laughs> I guess that's the, me in a nutshell, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just thinking while you were talking too, like, wait a second, how long has it been since I talked to you? And I think the last time we talked was in Washington, D.C. for the Indigenous Peoples March. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that's like what, 2019, January 2019. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> it has been. It has been. That was like the last one. Yeah, when did the like actually last big gatherings from what I remember of Indian country in the D.C. area, you know. Wow, that's been a while. Yeah, it really was. (laughs) That's kind of crazy to think about because that means like what four years have passed. Um, yeah, about. Oh my gosh, I can't even believe that twenty twenty two is just around the corner. It still feels like twenty twenty, and I just, I just like so much has happened in between then, and I even, even like from when I think I first met you, I think in twenty fourteen when 
my friend and I started, or I think you remember Allie, um, when we started the Survival of the First Voices, I think that's where we first got connected, I think. Yeah, when I was with uh, Native Max Magazine. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, that was it. So a lot has happened in between these years, like seven <laughs> years now. Holy cow. <laughs> it really has. Now I have a couple of questions to ask you. Um, so in our the last show that I did, I started talking about native journalism and kind of like the do's and don'ts and why it's so important to report on accurately on Indian country and why you need to be really mindful of how you tell the stories that we are sharing and kind of like the the stories that are coming out of the issues and struggles that we face in our communities. And, you know, I was thinking about how women account for 41% of all people working in print news media and native journalists account for less than 1%. How did that reality kind of affect you both as a woman and as a native? And what obstacles did you face and what progress have you seen as you kind of dealt with those obstacles and as you've grown in your journalistic journey? Oh, that's a really great question um, or questions. Um, you know, I think I have to um, think about a lot of the, um, even just mentors over the years. Um, so I started getting, I got into to my first journalism class in 2009 and she was, you know, a woman and, she really instilled, uh, her name, her name is Professor Farron Scott. She taught at Fort Lewis College. Um, you know, she was a white woman, but still she, uh, I remember, so I took this, so everybody knows, I t- accidentally took a journalism class. I had no intention of going into it. I knew I just needed a break from the sciences because it was so heavy. And I saw this course thinking, oh, it's like blogging and video. I can do that. It seems like something I need to do and, and wanted to do and to spill out my creative juices and I got to, to the class and I was just thrown back. I was so intimidated and I, t- I saw the syllabus and I was like, what did I get myself into? This is not what I thought it was. Um, but I talked to her and um, Professor Scott really, you know, encouraged me, like, just try it, just try it. Like you'll do great. I can help you. So I think um, her, that initial push and, um, guiding me along the way and really challenging me helped help me out and also seeing um, me as a writer knowing that existed really helped and so that was the first mentor I had and then this just I think just throughout the years as I um and she was actually the one who introduced me to Naja um she just uh well Naja slash like a couple of um I guess journalism trainings for native journalists so she introduced me to uh, um, the Chips Chip Scholars program, which was like a multimedia training program, and the specific program was for Native journalists. Um, and then she, so she introduced me to that, and then she told me about this other program called the American Indian Journalism Institute, um, which was run, by, and both of them are run by the Freedom Forum, and they partnered with Naja, and a lot of Naja members have gone through these programs. Um, so she really, you know, threw me in there and said, "Hey, just go, and I'll write you a recommendation letter." So I did, and I think, you know, it really helped because it introduced me to more Native women in journalism. Um, I remember Mary Hudetz was one of the first ones I met, and she's doing incredible work now at ProPublica. She was with the, you know, the Associated Press, Seattle Times. So I really looked to her as, like, a mentor. Um, 
there's just so many other women. I mean, Tate Walker was one of them. Um, and Tate was the editor for um, Native People's Magazine. And actually her and Mary Hudetz, um, who I just mentioned, were both uh, editors at Native People's Ma- Magazine. Um, so I guess, like, you know, I think in the smaller, like, Native journalism space, I mean, there is, like, very few women, but I think I've gotten very lucky to be connected with them um, in a way that helped me grow as a person and as a journalist. Um, but when you look at the greater like media landscape, it's completely different. And I think I didn't get like a huge, uh, I, I think what really woke me up and kind of just threw me back was even being in DC. Um, you know, we would, since I was the first staff reporter for Indian country today, I was the one who had to go on the Hill, had to go into these meetings, had to go into these briefings. And I was just so, I was really intimidated. I won't won't lie. Um, I remember first going into the briefing room at the white house. It was just a sea of like, you know, white journalists. And there's also, you know, other journalists of color there, but to know that it, it was, and just like to hear some people talk and just like, I don't, it was really intimidating, you know, as a Native woman being there. There are several encounters where, or just even uh, incidences where I just didn't feel right and I felt uncomfortable. Um, but I knew I had to be in those spaces. You know, I knew that we belonged there and we had a voice. And so I stuck it through and would just, I think even maybe she used to share some of my experiences like on Twitter or um, shared then, like, uh, my uh, YDL com- column, um, you know, but I think there's just one incident. I'll, I'll, I'll like, tell people about this. Um, so Justin Trudeau was visiting um, Trump to talk about the um, a trading trading deal between Canada, U.S., and Mexico. And so I thought, oh, I, I got to go get photos of him. And just at this time um, – I think the day before or two days before um, Trudeau just green lighted the trans mountain pipeline um, that would go through indigenous communities, at least the completion of it. So I was like, Oh, I have to go meet him. Went to the white house, took photos. Um, I ended up going to the Canadian embassy because I really wanted to ask a a question or see what I could do. You know, Um, I got up to the Canadian embassy, met the press people and I asked them like what, you know, what is the plan? What's the rundown? And so they said, okay, Canadian press gets six questions. Um, U.S. press gets one. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> I, I was like, wow, okay. Um, and I like joked around and I was like, but I'm indigenous media. I don't count as a U.S. media. And then the press person is like, no, no. I was like, no, like that it's, I'm indigenous media. So I should actually get a question, you know, separate from U.S. and Canada. And they're like, no. And the guy understood, but he knew he's, he was like, no, I, was like, I really wish I could, but I can't. So he pointed me to the direction where U.S. media um, gathered and we're trying to figure out what question, or questions to ask because we got a follow up question also. So I went to this like little gathering of like this circle, circle of uh, journalists. I got to the group. All of them were white. Uh, white men there was just one um, man of color and he was from like the media Mexico Um, and 
I told them like, Hey, I want to ask a question. I'm with any country today. And I want, and, the, and I remember this uh, tall guy and I still remember his name, his name's Josh and he works for Bloomberg. And he said, Oh, what do you want to ask? And I told him about the Trans Mountain Pipeline. And he said, okay. And all these other, he's like, okay. And I could see like he was genuine and wanted to like include me. And I was the only woman in that group too, just so people know. And, um, when I, when I said that out loud, I saw these other men's faces and I can't tell you like how much I felt like they're internally rolling their eyes at me, like telling, saying like, what the heck, what's going, like, why is she bringing this like non-trading question to her? You know, they're just like actually, you know, making me feel like I didn't belong there. But I was like, no, I need to ask this question. And he's like, okay, okay. And, um, I could tell, I could clearly tell these other men were upset, but Josh was like, no, like, let, let's see, let's see. Well, he's like, well, okay, let's go talk to Canadian media and see what questions they're asking because we could probably get our questions asked by them anyway. So we met with them, they told them, and they coordinated questions. And uh, Josh was like, okay, you get a question, like, we'll get a question. We're already getting our questions answered by Canadian media, so it's fine. Um, and so I gave my question to the guy from uh, Mexico. Um, so I had a question and he took my follow-up question. So I got to ask Trudeau, you know, about the Trans Mountain Pipeline. But I think it was just really great to see that type of teamwork and also recognition from one guy. And after that um, whole press conference, we took the elevator down together and he was telling me about how in Canada they, you know, I think, I think he said that he had to take like a Indigenous Affairs course. And so he knows like a lot about it and, it was had this really like a genuine conversation and I told him and, you know, even thanked him. I'm like, wow, I can't, this is like the first time in a long time in DC that I felt validated and seen. And especially as a native woman. Um, and he was just like very nice. Like, thank you. Like, or, you're welcome. It's no problem. And, um, you know, I think that's, that was like one of the obstacles, you know, but I think in that moment, finding allies help and also sticking through it are the ways that, I had to overcome those and, um, you know, it's progressing, um, as I'm there and, you know, as time goes on, I think as ICT grows larger and, um, networks and builds partnership, but it is going to take a lot of, there's still a lot of, um, room to room for improvement and work to be done. Absolutely. And DC is intimidating. Um, mm -hmm. It's really the belly of the beast for natives. <laughs> and we're just kind of thrown there because when I was there for uh, the Indigenous Peoples March, and actually before then, I was there for the March for Racial Justice, and I was there by myself. And I didn't really know the organizers of the march at the time. Um, and it was my first time in DC. So I was kind of navigating that space by myself. And it was very interesting to see how invisible, like, I, you know, I know that the erasure of natives is a problem and I know that we face invisibility, but I've never actually felt invisible, like physically invisible until I was in DC, because I can't tell you the number of times that people would walk into me and you know that you can see a person in front of you, but like they wouldn't move, like they would expect me to move. And if I didn't move, like they would just run <laughs> right into me. And it was such, it was kind of a jarring experience. 
um, because I really started thinking about what that meant for natives in the larger scape landscape. You know, when we're talking about erasure and invisibility and how hard it is to to have our issues seen and to to be heard when we're talking about those issues. And I think that kind of really validated, you know, our work as Native journalists to me, because I realized, like, we're fighting this uphill battle. And, you know, like in our Native community, you know, it's it's great that we're that we're connected. You know, we have the Native American Journalists Association and we all know each other more or less. Like we know the women who work in this industry. We know the men. And there's kind of like a collaboration. Like we all help each other, you know, get our foot in the door. But once we leave Indian country, it's a very different experience. And I'm thinking about, um, you know, our journalists now who have the opportunity to write for more mainstream publications. Like we have a lot of natives who are writing for Teen Vogue um, and the Washington Post and, you know, being featured in more of these mainstream media outlets, which is a question I have for you is what has been your experience between working with a native publication and working with more mainstream outlets. Yeah, you're bringing it on so soon. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I had a really, oh, I, I had a, you know, I, I, I'll be fair. I had a really good experience in grad school or in J school um, with Syracuse and at Newhouse. Um, so I went there under the Newhouse Graduate Newspaper Fellowship, which, is, which are for, um, students coming from underrepresented communities and um it's an 18 month fellowship and for uh, 12 months or a year of that you get to intern with syracuse.com and the post standard which now i think they're called advanced media group um so it was really i had a really great experience there i wrote under the health beat um and i had a great mentor who helped me out and who guided me, um, but there is an incident there, um, and I and they know this too. So this is already out in the public. Um, I've told them before, but um, uh, this is when Standing Rock broke out, and I remember it was the summer of 2016, maybe the spring actually, like April, when it first um, started happening. And my sister was like, "Look, we should go up there," and I thought, oh, "Okay." I was like, "Ah, we're both." We're both broke in school. I don't know if we can go up there, <laughs> um, but it started getting, you know, growing larger and larger. And, and, you know, in Indian country, you realize it was like a big deal. And so I tried to figure out a way to like cover it um, through Syracuse.com and through this internship I had. And so I wrote up this, like, I don't know. I just had a feeling that I had to really sell them on why it was important. Um, and a lot of it, you know, if people, for people who don't know um, Syracuse, rest on the Hollands of the Haudenosaunee. Um, you have Onondaga, that's 10 minutes down the road or down the freeway. You have Oneida next door, um, but that's in the heart of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. So I really tried to hit home in this uh, three-page pitch to them. I had tons of story ideas. I had the top ones. I told them the multimedia elements, everything. You know, everything I was taught in school plus more because I knew like they were going to turn me down. And it took a couple of weeks to like convince them that I need to go because this is so important. They kept saying no and no. And they were saying that it was for insurance reasons. And I don't know, like, I just like knew this was an important um, story to tell. And so I finally just said, 
I'm going. I won't be here for these 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 days. I'll be back. Bye. And I just got I just got tired of it. I just got tired of being told no because I knew like deep down I needed to be there. I needed to be there to see what was happening. And I'm so happy I did go with a couple of other people because I went Labor Day weekend and that's when the dog attacks happened. And I got all of that on video. Um, I talked to so many great people who, you know who were there for you know obvious reasons that we all know but it was just such a crucial time to be there as a journalist especially not only you know it's not any journalist but as a native journalist being there telling those stories so much was coming out of you know that movement there um i came back and i told my editors what happened and i wrote about it and they're happy um got a lot of traction from what i remember but I know they're really unhappy with me, um, but, you know, all those editors that told me no were older white men, um, and I remember one question one of them asked me, and they're like, why is this important to our readers? And, and you know, there's, like, this underlying question under that I knew what they're asking, like, why is this important to our white affluent readers or, you know, readership? And I kept telling them, like, no, you have Haudenosaunee people who read this, who you know, live around you who are your neighbors. You have the Haudenosaunee scholarship that comes through this uh, Syracuse University. You have a native student program there. This is an important story to tell, not just for the native people here, but also, you know, in Syracuse. So um, after that, like after that experience, and I told, you know, the people who put me in that the internship, um, again, they know I've talked about the, at a race and media symposium there. And, you know, it's, uh, after, that, after that, I knew that I needed to be in an Indigenous-led newsroom because I wouldn't have to fight hard for a story. And I'm so happy I made that move and had that experience early on because being an ICT has been an absolute dream come true. You know, like all of us know that every, you know, the problem we have in ICT is so many story ideas and not enough writers not enough reporters (laughs) and that is a really good problem to have because there's so many stories out there that need to be told um and it's hard because you have to like prioritize it and see and work with you know there's a lot of different factors involved um in it so i guess that's you know it's i had to like really you know i guess that's my experience with mainstream mesh media um and a lot of it you know i think we all know that mainstream media has just been terrible at just telling the stories, um, the nuance of the stories, right? And always, again, portraying us in a very stereotypical way, putting us in this box um, that isn't true or maybe is only um, a small part of the truth. But they don't, they, in my eyes, I think a lot of stories that they tell are like the low-hanging fruit. Um, they don't tell the stories that have that are so rich in the nuance, um, and you know those, those are the stories that need to be told. And they're often stories of telling the problem and not the solution, and not of telling how brilliant and excellent our indigenous people are in this country because they're so talented um, and they're so, doing so many cool things. One hundred percent true. <laughs> <You> know, it, <laughs> It's and it's funny because I find that 
when it comes to mainstream media, I think one of the things, because I did, I stepped away from journalism for quite a few years, mainly because I kind of got jaded with just having to fight to have our voices heard within mainstream media and to have it heard right, because they never quite, you know, like you said, capture the nuance or capture the heart of the story. And it's always through a skewed lens. And I'm thinking about the story, the early stories that came out of Standing Rock, where, you know, the mainstream media who had headlines like Native shooting bow and arrow at drones and, you know, and we're just, and everybody in Indian country kind of like, what? <laughs> you know, like, why are you trying to paint us even now in these contemporary times as like primitive people who are still dependent on bow and arrow? Like, we don't know how to use, like, modern technology. Um, and, and the, you know what I mean? Like, it's Yeah, just, yeah. It's, I, you know, I, I just remember all of that coverage back then, and I was shaking my head, like, what is going on? Well, that's the reason why I think it was so important for Native journalists to be there, right? Um, and even just, like, as a Native person, it, it was a lot of people only refer us to, to, the, to the ghost dance, um, which only happens you know, every, I don't know, hundred years, you know, it's very rare. Um, and it was just only, not only so powerful to be other native journalist, but just even as a human being, I can't tell you how important it was. Um, <laughs> I was laughing when you said jaded, cause I feel like I'm jaded from like, uh, right at the end of September throughout November <laughs> when <laughs> you get all these, uh, pictures or like, um, requests to be on panels and to tell about powwows and I got so many in my inbox Johnny I was like nope I am not answering any of these and even like well I don't know I think you were when we, we tweeted I even like tweeted out like hey you know we exist beyond indigenous people's day and Native American Heritage Month thank you we exist all year <laughs> because and then also I think I was just so jaded because it's my job to do this every single day not just a certain time of the year so I, I got to work through those feelings next year. <laughs> no, it's true because I do the same thing. And it used to be like I was kind of excited for, you know, November. And like when you're younger, you know, because you're like, you know, like when you go to school, like I don't know how it is everywhere else. But if you're native, like in Oklahoma, in Native American Heritage Month, we kind of go all out. And, you know, like schools will organize like their native students and we will have like powwows and auditoriums and we have the floor to kind of share our culture. You know, they bring in our grandparents, they bring in people to really kind of let people know about our cultures that exist within these cities, you know, and it's not in a very it's not in a tokenizing way. And I kind of expected that to be the norm everywhere. But it's not. <laughs> and when you get older, you really realize that, ooh, like this is not inclusivity. It's not diversity. It's tokenization. And I do the same thing now. Like when it comes towards the end of October through December, I start dreading my inbox because I know that I'm going to get just like inundated with a lot of requests to speak on different panels and also, it's just like, that's kind of insulting to only think about us or want to want to include us during this one month when we don't get to pick and choose when it is we're indigenous because we're indigenous every single day of our lives. You know, the knowledge that we have, like it's just as valuable every other day of the year as it is 
during Native American Heritage Month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's so true. I think a lot of the events that happen during November, I go, I only go there just to connect with community. You know, it's not not to be uh, Jordan, like the editor or managing editor, the reporter. It's just to go to connect with people. Um, I think that's why I use a lot of those events for, which help. You know, I think a lot of it um, wakens your spirit, or at least just helps helps uh, ground you in a way. It really does. And, you know, I think that's why, you know, it kind of, um, I think I kind of really got my fire back a little bit over, you know, this, over the pandemic, really, just because, you know, like with A Tribe Called Geek, um, you know, it's pretty much been me keeping it going, which writing all the stories, doing all the promotion for it. And now, you know, I teamed up with Lee Francis with Native Realities. And, um, you know, now we're able to pay the writers. We're able to, you know, like I have helped building this platform now. And it's such a, it's such a good reminder of why Native journalism is important. And not just telling like our struggles, but also highlighting our achievements and being able to celebrate those accomplishments and the fact that we have like Native artists, we have you know, native doctors and scientists who are doing these incredible things. I mean, we have Navajo tech on Mars right now. And (laughs) it's such an incredible thing to witness that, you know, this is something that we're celebrating in Indian country, but because we're celebrating it through Indian country today, through a tribe called geek and our media outlets, that mainstream outlets are looking at it like, oh, you know, they're onto something here. So now Aaron Yazzie is like a nationally known name within STEM. And it's such an incredible thing to witness to see the fruits of our labor as Native journalists kind of gaining traction and, you know, kind of getting our stories out there on a larger landscape. And to the point where now it almost feels like we're having to contend with the mainstream journalists to be the first to tell our stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're definitely right about that. Um, I can tell you, it's so funny when there's like a breaking story, like Deb Holland's confirmation was <laughs> a, a perfect example. I am so competitive, and I my goal is any breaking story that applies to Indian country, I want to be the I want us to be the first one, of course. So. Um, I would always look at the push notifications from like uh, the Washington Post, New York Times, or AP. Those are the top three I try to beat. And when Deb's confirmation happened, um, I like laughed because I'll like look at the time to see when I was announced. And we have this whole strategy, you know, about how to get out breaking news. So we're going, 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 going. Like everything drops at that moment. And I remember um, when her confirmation came through, I can't remember who did it first. Maybe it was the, the Post or AP. But it came through, and I was, and they were all on Slack, and I'm like, it's here, let's go. And everybody knows what to do. And I timed, and I think I said it was like two or three minutes <laughs> right after them. <laughs> and I'm just like, yes. And I'm like, yes, we beat this person, we beat this person. And I don't know, it's, just so, it's so fun. It's such an adrenaline high, but I just laugh because I don't want to contend with them, but I really do <laughs> in, in reality, be, um, especially, you know, when such big news like Deb Holland being confirmed as a first native person, as a cabinet member, that was huge. Um, but, you know, I think in the end too, it's like, um, it, it's kind of, I, I don't want to just because I feel like 
they can do the story, but we're going to do it better. You know, um, at least that's my mindset. We're going to be the ones to push that narrative forward. Um, we're the ones who are going to, you know, just uh, tell the full picture. You know, again, like tell the nuance of the story because that's the beautiful part of our story is the complexity, the, you know, just the messiness of it all because uh, we lived it, right? And mm-hmm. so often I think as I'm getting more experience and just seeing the playing field, I'm not too worried about it. But again, I'm like, I'm still a competitor. So I still have that there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true, though, because the one thing that I also see happening because of social media and just because we're so connected is that there is a race to be the first. <laughs> but in being first, they often get so many things wrong. Exactly. And Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like when it comes to compare, and I hate to say comparing media, but I find that so often it's, you know, our smaller like community news outlets. It's in, you know, I, I, I like to brag on high school and collegiate journalists a lot because I really feel like they're the last line of defense right now in kind of keeping the balance of old school journalism like with keeping the ethics and, you know, still having to really be mindful that they're making sure that their stories are balanced, that they're being objective and telling the truth and not just inserting, you know, kind of like a hidden opinion piece within (laughs) a news article. Mm -hmm. No, you're so right about that. Well, that's the thing too. And that's what I really loved about Mark's leadership um, and building this organization is He's huge on, you know, accuracy, and I'm totally there 100%. I mean, we'd rather be accurate than the first ones. So it is a fine balance, you know. We're always fact-checking and making sure, you know, there's just, like, fact-checking over and over and over just to make sure that we're right because my nightmare is just always is always to send a correction <laughs> or to get an email in my inbox or a call, and I'm like, shoot. <laughs> that's That's not our job, you know. <laughs> Um, but I agree with the high school and college journalism. I loved it. It's, you know, I think that's why I was really grateful to teach high school journalism is because, um, I feel like it became, reporting became second nature, but it had me really analyze and think like why I do the things I do already and to kind of explain that to, um, younger journalists, um, cause they, you know, high school students, they, they are full of questions. <laughs> they would ask like, Ms. Bennett, why do you do this? Or why do you do this? Or why isn't this way? And, or how come we didn't do it this way? And I'd be constantly explaining to them. So it was really nice to kind of, um, you know, look at my core values and look at the core values of journalism and why I'm doing it. And it was just a really great reminder um, when I was teaching these students and they're now off doing their own things right now. And I think one of them, Actually, a couple of them are at Cronkite now, which is pretty cool to think about. Oh, wow. That is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that was me or not. Maybe they had their early dreams going there. <laughs> but, I, but I like to think that. <laughs> no, and for real, like, because I work at a um, high school journalist camp at, in, at um, OU in Norman, Oklahoma, And I was kind of blown away with the quality of work that they were turning in and the fact that like they were so good on meeting the deadlines that we were setting for them. 
and just like when we give them the edits like they were on it the photographs that they were taken were better than what i could do and i was just like holy moly and you know i've had the opportunity to do workshops at um, the national high school journalism convention and when they start asking you questions I feel like I'm a deer in the headlights, <laughs> just like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. You're not supposed to be asking that at that le- this level yet. <laughs> yeah, but they, like, they see right through you and, you're, and the answers. It's, it's so fun to see, you know. I think they're very, they're very hardcore. <laughs> they are, and they're so relentless in a good way. Like, it's amazing, you know, that they have that tenacity because I feel like it's something that I didn't learn until later. And like, I wasn't comfortable doing until, you know, like I'm like into my late thirties and I was like, holy moly, like it's incredible that they have that now and kind of that confidence because you really need that. Oh yeah. No. Oh, definitely. A hundred percent. I just thought about all these like times I had to put myself on very uncomfortable positions um whether it was like taking photos or videos or being in front of crowds or even like you said asking those hard questions um because I think as a human you know you want to like the you want them to like you (laughs) I think it's like (laughs) any human right you're like oh I hope this person likes me or but then uh and I become nervous and flustered and then I like switch my hat and my and my mindset think no this is this is my job I have a duty I'm serving my people and so when I get into that mindset, it's everything completely goes away. I'm just like, whatever, I have a job to do. This is my goal. I'm going, I don't, I don't care what you think about me <laughs> because my job is to serve people. I'm a public servant, you know, and this is my job to tell the story. Um, but the more times, you know, uh, and I always told my students this too, the more times you put yourself in those uncomfortable positions, the more you get used to it. And pretty soon it's just like nothing. Um, and you like, and pretty soon you like being in those uncomfortable, weird positions because you're there witnessing history, you know, in real time. And I think that's the coolest part of the job. Definitely. Which brings me to this. What has been your favorite story that you've covered? And what has been your least favorite just because of the uncomfortable position that it puts you in? Oh, my gosh. I'm like thinking we're through all the stories. <laughs> um, you know, I think a lot of the times my least favorite one, let's do that one. Um, you know, a lot of the times when I have to call people, um, oh gosh, this is a really hard question. I, I don't know if I have one, one story. I have like themes Oh, yeah, there's two things that are my least favorite. <laughs> so, of course, I, lo- I love DC. I love going to brief rooms. Like, they're so awesome. But, again, I think covering stories on the Hill have been very uncomfortable because, again, like, there's no one like me there. And so I'm constantly reminded that I don't belong there, whether it's, like, seeing other people, but it's also the buildings themselves. They're white. The floors are white. The walls are white. Um, just brown girls walking through the halls with my turquoise on and sometimes I wear my moccasins I like stand out like a sore thumb um, but you know I think those are kind of like uncomfortable positions to be in but also they're, they're really fun so it, I don't know um, anything that has to do with like 
very controversial, which, you know, that's also the fun stories, um, controversial topics. Um, oil and gas is a big one, you know, in Indian country. And I think that's a huge part of the climate change talks right now. Um, but also they're kind of like fun to talk about because you get to ruffle feathers, <laughs> get people angry, <laughs> um, which I really shouldn't, you know, I think that's like kind of like my least one. So you have to ask the hard and like poignant questions. Um I can't really think of the like least favorite story though. I think those are, like the themes they could point those out. Um, my favorite story has to be um, there's probably two of them actually. One is one I got the chance to interview um, a native astronaut. Oh my gosh, why is his name slipping from my mind? Um, was it John Harrington? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was John Harrington. I was I should know this. I might, I just slipped. Um, yeah. He, I, I always wanted to be an astronaut growing up. I love space. I love astronomy. If we get a chance to go into space, I am the first one buying a ticket on there. <laughs> I think that's just the coolest thing. It's one of the coolest things to do. Um, and if I get to go to NASA and tell a story, I'm there. I will do all the training that's necessary. Um, but I think talking to him and just trying to see like a real life hero, that was so cool. Um, the other one would have to be, um, no, actually it's probably my favorite ones. Um, I really like doing profiles on people because I like getting to know, I, I just like getting to know other people, knowing their quirks, knowing their their background, why do you do the things they do? Um, I think my like recent favorite one was um, the profile Mato Wayuhi. He's the score composer for Reservation Dogs. Um, he, yeah, composed the original music for now a Golden Globe nominated TV show. And I thought, he, I chose him as a profile just because his as a native person and scoring a tv show but in a very non-traditional way as a 23 year old just blew my mind i was like what was i doing at 23 <laughs> i wasn't I, I clearly wasn't doing that so just talking to him and reading up about him and hanging out with him at uh, santa fe indian market i got to know him as a person as an as an artist um i think that was a really fun story to tell because i finally got to be creative in a way, um, I just haven't, it, it was just been a while, you know, I had to play around with his um, music and figure out how to, you know, show it to readers. Um, I got to like have him create like a playlist for us. So that was really fun. I think that has to be at least one of the recent favorite stories um, I've reported on. I think that's really cool. And I think that's one of the things that I'm kind of enjoying right now. Um, because everything is so heavy in Indian country. Um, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're impacted so heavily by COVID right now. And the stories that, you know, are coming out of our communities are so heartbreaking and devastating because, you know, I, as we're starting to kind of, I don't know, it feels like almost like we're kind of in that denial stage too, where we want everything to be normal. So, you know, we have a lot of our communities who are starting to open up and, you know, do our events and, 
you know, we're still experiencing a lot of sickness, a lot of death, and there's a lot of heaviness that's coming out of our communities. But at the same time, there's also just as much good news. And and there's like a balance that is happening right now where it's like we get good news, we get some bad news, but we get some better news. And so it kind of makes the next bad news (laughs) a little more tolerable. And (laughs) I hate to put it that way, but it kind of it kind of helps. You know what I mean? Because then you're just not so overwhelmed. And I think as journalists, being able to have that opportunity, you know, to where, you know, we do have to report on the bad, like we do have to report on the struggle. But I think at the same time, it just makes up for it every time that we get to report on the wins and the successes, the achievements, because it, I don't think people realize too, you know, it's kind of like with psychologists, you know, we go to them, we talk to them about our problems and we lay a lot of heavy traumatic stuff on them. And we never think about, okay, well, they're taking care of us, but who's taking care of them? Mm -hmm. And it's the same with journalists because we're taking on those stories. We're sharing these stories and we have a really big responsibility to make sure that we're taking care of those stories and that we're being mindful of the impact that we have in telling those stories. And so this is my question to you. What is one of the ways that you've been able to kind of balance that, you know, take care of like your own mental health in dealing with a lot of the more serious topics um, and just kind of not being overwhelmed by the stories that you have to take on? Um, Oh, man, I think the pandemic has definitely um, shed light on that quite a bit for me. I think really for a lot of people, you know. Um, I really, oh my gosh, Johnny, I'm a workaholic. I don't know boundaries, (laughs) which is, but looking at myself when I first started working for Indian Country Today and now, I've definitely grown in that area of knowing when to stop, um, because it wasn't sustainable. And I think the COVID, it was 10 times, during COVID, when we first started working at home, it was 10 times worse. Like I didn't know when to stop. Sometimes I would, you know, start working like at 8 30, 9, 9 o'clock, 9 30 in the morning. I would go 12 hours, 10 hours sometimes. Um, just working like all the time because this was such a crucial time. But it would you know weighed a lot on my physical health and mental health, of course. Um, I was exhausted all the time. So I really, um, I was really thankful that our managing editor who came at the time, Katie Oyen, she was the one who really uh, pumped the brakes and said, hold on, this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon. Y'all have to like cool it. (laughs) So we all had to like establish our own like working hours saying, you know, this is the time we're going to start. This is the time we're going to stop. So that really helped me. And I now will not work on my work phone. Um, if there's anything that's urgent, I tell them you can call me. They can call my personal cell phone number. Um, but I'm not looking at Slack. I'm not looking at email. Um, and, you know, I think work has been really great about it, too, because I think that's the thing that has saved my sanity. <laughs> and then um, and, and it's just doing, like, little things here and there. Like, I would go for walks in the morning or walks during the day. Um 
And, you know, I think at, now at, like, ICT, like, we have such, like, our newsrooms are only just so talented, but they're such hard workers. And, you know, everybody does it for, like, the same reason. They do it for Indian country. They do it for their people. They do it for communities. And so there is that compassion there and that love and that drive that I just, I, it's, it's amazing. It's, I love, I love it. But also, we have to constantly remind people, and I have to remind myself, to make sure you eat, to make sure you drink water, <laughs> to make sure you go stretch, go take a walk. Or, you know, sometimes we have to tell people, all right, make, go get something to eat and we won't bug them for a while. Um, you know, it's just doing simple things like that that has definitely helped me. Um, recently, just before, um, I think around maybe November, I started doing, I, I just had to make sure I ate two meals a day, Donnie. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so I started uh, HelloFresh just ordering because I couldn't make it to the grocery store. Um, so I had to like get my food delivered and just learn how to cook again and fall in love with like food um, and making different recipes. Uh, so that's something I just started doing and just binge watching shows and trying to read again, making, doing things that make me feel happy. I tried to at least do one thing a day that makes me feel happy. It makes me feel that joy. Um, I like solo dance parties a lot. I love music. I think that's what carried me through the pandemic. <laughs> I would just put on my AirPods and just blast the music and just dance. And that's probably been like one of the top things that helped my mental health. That sounds fun. And HelloFresh is a game changer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm ter- I'm a terrible, well, I'm an okay cook. My family, uh, they would probably argue. I don't know. It just depends. I'm like one who falls on spaghetti. <laughs> I'm like spaghetti for days. I can eat that for days. I don't have to cook. I can just warm it up and I would be perfectly happy. My, nope, my sister, we would, my, uh, well, my sister and I would live together for one semester in undergrad. She was like laughing because she's like, we had spaghetti so much. <laughs> And I think she was on here earlier, so she missed me telling it, but I'll tell her later. <laughs> like she was like, Jordan, why do you why do you always cook spaghetti? I'm like, dude, I only I don't have time to cook. <laughs> this is I put the it's like you know, my version of meal prepping. <laughs> but it, you're right, HelloFresh is amazing. I've gotten I feel like it's like uh back to like uh my home ec class in like middle school. <laughs> No, you know, the thing that I appreciated about HelloFresh is just that once you stop using HelloFresh, you start realizing like how easy it is just to make quick at home meals because you kind of like because all their recipes are essentially the same. And Mm -hmm. so it's real easy to kind of recreate them on your own and make your own modifications and you know, because like at the beginning of the pandemic, we were doing HelloFresh um, just so that we wouldn't have to go out to like the grocery store um, because I'm immunocompromised. So I'm like the Indian in the bubble. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It was it was fun. And we had done HelloFresh before, which is why we thought like, OK, we could do this again. But it's so fun because it really does take your mind off of things when you have to follow instructions like when they have like okay this is what you need to do and you do it in this order it like really there's a little stress release that comes from doing that like just having that repetitive motion of knowing that okay this is what I'm going to be doing and this is how I'm going to be doing it and this is when I'm going to be doing it like it 
Like it sounds so ridiculous, but it helps so much without even without you even thinking about it. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. I, that's what I like about it is it's one less decision for me to make in a day because that's my job. I have to make decisions all day, you know, which I'm grateful for. I'm so grateful for, but you get so exhausted. So knowing that my only decision has to choose which brown bag I'm going to eat. <laughs> it's so nice. <laughs> It really, it really is. And now that we're coming up on the end of tonight's episode, I have one last question. And I want to ask what it feels like knowing that you made Native Journalism History as the first woman to be an editor-in-chief at Indian Country Today. Oh, man. Um, it, I, you know, I... I, I still don't answer this question because I knew you were going to ask me. <laughs> um, I, I still, you know, I think it's really, I think it's really cool. Um, but yeah, it sounds very unintelligent. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I have no words. Um, I really, I really don't have any words. Uh, it's just, it's 2021. I, I honestly can't believe it's been, taken 40 years to for us to get to this point you know um but it also just shows like a lot of the progress that's being made now right um and i'm, I'm really excited because i i also think one of the one of the things that mark told me um he's just been such a great mentor i'm absolutely grateful just for his words and or his wisdom and his guidance and just always you know being the soundboard when I have an idea or when I want to try something out I mean it's just been so great to work with him and to learn from him um you know he I, I just can I'm just continuing just to you know create a newsroom that I want to see that a lot of us want to see and to create like a workplace you know that is one where everyone enjoys working at you know and enjoys telling the stories that are so important to our communities and you know i it's i think it's just pretty awesome just to be the first woman <laughs> um i i don't know what else to say jody i it's really <laughs> incredible um when i told one of my close friends what was going on um because i knew it like for a while and her words were jordan what a legacy and I didn't really think of it that way just because I made so many sacrifices and I worked so hard to be where I was. And so I had to like acknowledge that, holy cow, this is really happening. But also I had to acknowledge like the imposter syndrome, uh, which, you know, a lot of not only Native people go through, but Native women, I feel like. Um, and even just being, I think, I always say like I'm a young leader because I technically am. <laughs> or young in Indian country terms, you know? Um, so it's, it, it's quite, it still takes my breath away. Um, when Mark asked me my breath, I had to like, I stopped breathing. Cause I was like, is he serious? And <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm still just blown away. My head is still spinning, but it's kind of calming down. And now, you know, I'm on vacation and trying to, you know, really ground myself and I'm back at home. And, you know, I went for this walk earlier um, back at home and I walked up this hill and I just like turned around. And I just saw the sunset just hitting my whole community, hitting 
you know, the place I grew up, my grandparents' house, and I, it was so cold, Johnny, I took off my shoes and my socks, (laughs) because (laughs) I wanted to feel, whenever I come home, I want to feel the earth under my feet, you know, there's nothing like res dirt in your feet in between your toes, Um, I do it when I come home from the summer, and I just, like, stood there in awe, and it was just really grateful, you know, just really grateful to be in this position just because I didn't think I would be here. Um, and just knowing and telling and showing my nieces and other little girls, you know, in Indian country that it is possible. Um, and just so incredibly grateful for all the people who've, you know, guided me here, who mentored me and, who continue to, you know, just be there for me now. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, there's just very, I have very generous people in my life and I'm just so grateful for them. So. It is an incredible legacy. Cause when I heard the news, I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> like I was so ridiculously happy because I was just like, this is like, the kind of news that Indian country needs right now. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's like every win that we have, like it's such a an awe-inspiring feeling because, you know, of course I know you. So it was even cooler because I was like, I know her. You know? <laughs> I was like, yeah. that's my friend. <laughs> but, oh like, it, it's yeah. like, it, to me, it was such an incredible moment. I mean, it was like when Deb Holland was confirmed. It was like when... You know, of course, Sharice Davids won her election and, you know, we see all these Native women and, you know, just accomplishing so much more than what we've been told we could. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, you know, like we have that little meme that floats around that says we're coming for everything that's been taken from us. And, you know, I see that happening now. And it's such a, like, awe-inspiring feeling because it's like, you know what? It's true. Like, we're coming for everything they said that wasn't meant for us. You know, we're going to accomplish so much more. And we believe that we can. And it kind of brings me back to um, Frank Juan, um, the song that he has, Seven, which is, like, the song that I bump before, like, every conference or panel, you know, just to kind of get me all pumped up about why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. But there's that line that says we're stronger and we know it now. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That song, I absolutely love. I came out of Standard Rock. I cried the first time because the words you're talking about, you know, it hit me hard. <laughs> it's I'm glad that's your pump up song. I think I'm gonna play that after this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's such an incredible song because you know it kind of talks about you know like just so many times just that erasure and you know feeling like we've been powerless and voiceless and just be being told over and over and over that we are these things through you know the way that we're portrayed in the media as always these victimized people and not these strong brilliant intelligent people that we are you know it's it's kind of refreshing now that we're able to celebrate that and to kind of take back that narrative and be like no that's not who we are this is who we are and only we can define who we are and who we're going to be but whenever I hear that song I think of you know like everything that we've all gone through to get to the point that we're at in our lives or to get to that point where we are in our careers 
especially when those careers are something crazy. Like, you know, of course we have Aaron Yazzie who's working at NASA. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I've just been thinking about all these, you know, trailblazers that we have in Indian country who didn't set out to be that trailblazer, but it's what it's the work and the passion that they had that kind of led them there. Like whether it was their intent or not, you know, it like mm-hmm. put them in these positions. And it's such, I listened to that song and I cried too the first time I heard it because I was like, Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of times, you know, I, um, well, it, like I said, we, we, it was, whether it was intent intentional or not to be in those positions, um, part of me is, a huge part of me is like, well, somebody has to do it. <laughs> somebody has to, and nobody's, you know, going to do, I, ha- I have to do it, you know, it needs to be done. Um, so I think there's also part of that duty that comes from it. Um, but, you know, we do it for a, a good reason. You know, we do it for Indian country. And I think that's mm-hmm. just what um, propels us forward even more. And um <laughs> I can't believe you just it's I feel very fortunate for you to like even throw me in the you know the pot with like Deb Holland or Tree Stevens. I'm like wow I don't even think I'm at that level <laughs> but. well you are because I mean it's incredible just to see how far we've all come because I think about it and I've been talking about it a lot like it's kind of weird to be native And to think of all the struggles, you know, like our, you know, like a lot of us didn't come from wealth. We didn't come from privilege. We didn't have a lot of the opportunities that a lot of people who are at the same level we are or working in the same fields, like they had a very distinct trajectory. You know, there is a a linear path that they took to get there. And for us in Indian country, it's a lot different because of our responsibilities to our community. Like, you know, like I didn't get the typical, you know, you graduate high school, you go to college, you start a family, you get a career, you know, there's not that linear path. And, you know, I think of how many of our native students, you know, it takes them maybe, whereas it takes most people four years to graduate from college or high school, you know, it could take a lot of natives, you know, five years or, you know, maybe even 10 or 20 years to finish just because, you know, the responsibilities that come up, life happens and, you know, we don't have the money to necessarily do what we want to do when we want to do it. And, yeah. you know, it's so incredible to see, you know, how far we've come and just to see the, the resiliency that, mm-hmm. you know, we're finding ourselves in these positions because I still think it's weird, you know, like, because <laughs> somebody asked me in an interview I did um, for Native American Heritage Month for Glendale, again, teen journalists, podcasters asking those hard questions and you're like, oh, crap, like, you're making me get way too honest here. <laughs> because, you know, like, I find it weird that, you know, like, I think of myself as still just a girl from Oklahoma and I'm goofy and kind of awkward, but it still amazes me that, you know, my work that I've done so far is being taught in college courses or, you know, people are using my work as reference in books and, you know, that I've been able to be interviewed for outlets around the world. And, you know, and I'm sitting here like, but have they met me? Cause you know, I could barely tie my shoes. You know? <laughs> but, no, I think that's incredible though. That's awesome. Like, I, I didn't know that some, I knew some of that was happening, but wow, your work in 
college courses. That's awesome. Yeah, like it's, but it's crazy when you think about that because I'm thinking of just everybody, you know, the work that we're doing, we all do it because, you know, we love doing the work and there's a purpose to it and we're doing it for our community and the love that we have for our communities and our people. But at the same time, I don't think we realize how much impact that work has on other people like outside of our communities. And, you know, it's strange when you start thinking about it, like all the opportunities that we've had, the places that we've been able to go or, you know, the institutions that we've been invited to speak at or when, you know, like as a kid, as a native kid, like these are things we never even dreamed possible or didn't even think about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, exactly what you're talking about. I I think that's what I'm really looking forward to. Um, Two things from what you're saying. One, I'm really looking forward to the unconventional ways of thinking and like applying those. Because like what you're saying, like for a lot of Native people, it's not a linear path. And I think, oh, I guess it's some, I finished college in five and a half years. (laughs) I took a break. I didn't just go straight into grad school. I worked in nonprofit um, for a while. Um, you know, there, I think, you know, it's not, we live unconventionally and I think that's what my life has been like, but also I really want to, um, stick to, and that's our indigenous truth, you know, in having to serve our communities, having to, having these duties to our families and, you know, to our elders and to our kids, you know, that's what I want to do, um, in this new role. And then the other thing, um, was I honestly do not remember. <laughs> You're like saying a lot of mom like, oh my goodness, I lost my train of thought. But um <laughs> it'll be I don't know, it's it's you know, it's it's just the great work that we're doing. Um I'm really looking forward to it. And times are changing now and I guess I'm really excited to be part of that change that's gonna happen. Um and to be oh this is what I was gonna say and to be like well, I'm like the second thing I was looking forward to is just being that connection. I think between, um, oh, I hate to say this, but I'm just gonna say it anyway. Um, to be that connection between like the indigenous world and Western world, I feel like that's gonna be a lot of my roles in like trying to show other like media and non-natives how important our stories are. You know, even though that's kind of not the role, but like it's the role that our like our works is doing anyways you know um so i think just being that that bridge um i'm looking forward to i don't know if that makes sense (laughs) no it makes total sense and we're coming up on the end of the hour so jordan would you tell everyone where they can find you online and where they can learn more about your incredible work sure um I'm here on Twitter, obviously. I am on Facebook, um, but a lot of the work you'll find is at IndianCountryToday.com. Um, follow us there. Uh, we also have the newscasts, ICT newscasts on YouTube and on PBS stations across the country. Um, I think we're at thir- in 37 states and in Canada and Australia, um, but you can also find the work there online, um, and I make an appearance there every now and then um yeah but yes where people can find me (laughs) all right well thank you so much for joining us this evening i really appreciate it because i've been so excited to talk to you about you know just all of this and especially because you know you just made history and now i have you on my podcast so 
Now hey. I get to hear Craig. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for inviting me. Um, thanks for inviting me. This is actually my first um, interview. So you have me thinking about a lot of things. I, I was thinking about before, but still, I think it's just one thing to be in your head and another thing to say it out loud. Um, but thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's good catching up with you again. It definitely was. And thank you again so much. And to all you listeners, thank you for joining us this evening. And listen in every Monday and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time. I'm here every Monday and Friday. So don't forget to join us and spark the conversation. And we will see you on Friday.